All right. Uh, this morning we are finishing. Well, you know me. Maybe not finishing, but we are on the last, the last part of the order of salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so, so much that you, O oh Lord, have told us what is to come. And thank you for where we stand as your people. We look back and we can say with Joshua that not one of your good promises has ever failed. And yet we have seen so much more than Joshua in our lifetime and through your word. And so, Father, as certain as we are of the ground that we stand on, may we be certain that your purpose for your children does not end at death, but we are reborn, that we have something so great to look forward to, to be glorified. We pray that we would understand it. We pray that it would encourage us at times of despair, even times, Father, of our own sinful failings and our hard and cold hearts at times, our, our doubts, the suffering when others seem to not suffer, that you would hold forth this doctrine and this promise. That when Jesus returns, when we see him, that we will be made like him. That we will be in a place where there is no more crying, no more sin, and no more causes of sin. That we will shine brighter than the brightest stars. Father, that our community will be wonderful and holy, and it'll be fun and joyous, and it'll make sense of everything, things that are just so hard for us to even understand now, the things that cause us to question you. It'll make sense of all of that, and that we will revel in who you've made us to be and in the fulfilling of your promises. And so, Lord, open our hearts and minds, even our imagination, to your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I lost a dear friend this week. Craig Bernard uh, was an intern in seminary with me back in the days at the Kirk of the Hills. So my first turn at the Kirk of the Hills, I did everything. I made coffee. I vacuumed. Um, it was a time of great humility for me. I remember the very first Sunday, they asked me to vacuum the church between the morning service and the evening service. And I was also a youth intern, and I, and I knew that the youth were coming at about five. And so I thought, I better vacuum this church before anybody sees me. I don't want anybody to know that I'm a janitor. I mean, that's that's just one level of, of pride that the Lord had to break me of. Um, I don't want these kids to know that I'm, I'm also a janitor. Um, you know, uh, ridiculous. But uh, Craig would work with me, and we were so broke that we did anything we could. Um, I remember staying at the church one whole evening because keys had been stolen, and I did security that night. Stayed up the whole night. Uh, I'd go there to make coffee really anything we could do to make ends meet. Um, and I remember as I'm vacuuming that the church, some of the kids show up. They come running down, and they're like, oh! I mean, exactly what I didn't want to hear. Oh, we didn't know you were our janitor, too! <laughs> and uh, Craig, however, was the most humble man I've ever met. 
Craig Bernard. Um, he wasn't attractive. He wasn't witty. He wasn't really a good speaker. But he loved Jesus and he loved people. Just, just loved and loved to serve. So happened that he married a woman that was so brilliant. And he wasn't, he wasn't, didn't compete with her. He didn't, he didn't want to belittle her. He didn't feel like, I mean, it was just, it was wonderful to watch their marriage as these two came together. Uh, a, a sweet, simple Southern boy with a brilliant wife. Um, they became really special when I moved here because he pastored a little church in Houston, Mississippi and would go and see my dad and my mom. My mom and dad weren't a part of his church. They would go, he'd go see them all the time and send me pictures. Um, and he was about seven years younger than me and he passed away this week. And he had struggled for a long time with diabetes and other issues. Um, he'd seen his uh, second daughter get married. Um, and I was so sad. Um, part of it is here's a giant in the faith that so many people will never know about you know here is, here is a giant that served the Lord and loved his people well um, and, and yet the comfort I got was in glorification Friday I put my mom on hospice care and um as I'm meeting with the nurse there and uh, the director, um, mom is eating these chocolates and getting them all over her face like a little child. And she just keeps forgetting who I am. And I hand her another chocolate. And she lights up like it's the first one she's had in years. Um, and, and yet there wasn't that sense of sadness. And I almost felt guilty about it. But she is moving to glory. You know, her body is failing. Her mind is failing. She still remembers things about the Lord. She still remembers His Word. We can still sing together. Um, but, but Mom is going to a place that is going to be better. She will be reunited with Dad. I know people say that all the time at funerals, and they say it no matter if the person um, worshipped the devil. They say that. You know, you just hear that. Oh, he's going to the bar up there, and someone's keeping a stool for him. Right? I mean, um, but, but Mom will be reunited with Dad, but that won't be the best part. That won't be the best part at all. The best part is she'll be reunited with her Savior. Um, and, and so... Uh, there are different types of mourning, aren't there? When a, uh, what I would consider just a middle-aged pastor leaves his family and his church and goes to be with the Lord as a, uh, a woman who has lived her life to the full and done what she was created to do, going to be with her Savior. So um, Christians, I, I, think, I, I think far too little of glorification. I was talking to Tammy about it this week. I'm like, why don't I... You know, why don't I talk about it more? And Scotty told me, what did you say, Scotty, when I said, why don't I talk about glorification more? He said, that's right, <laughs> that's right, <laughs> because you don't have a well-developed eschatology. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right, uh, salesman. Um, <laughs> so uh, this is where it leads. And... Um, you know, I think if, if you struggle with that hope, 
you might, you might do well just to go online and look at some of those Negro spirituals and how they sung and longed to be with God because their life was so difficult. It held them, you know. They were, they were slaves um, in a horrible system, being treated horribly. And yet their songs of heaven and glory and what awaits them were beautiful. Um, so uh, scripture points to glorification all over, um, speaks of it as a definite um, thing, not just a concept, but a reality. Um, and so in your notes, um, I don't, <clears throat> there, there's just so much to cover. So we probably won't get finished with it all today. And, and, and think about maybe some questions and you can email them to me this week. But there, there's so much in the scriptures about uh, the, the unseen, um, the metaphysical realms, uh, spirits, uh, demons, angels, um, <clears throat> so much. Like Jake is going to get to 1 Samuel 28 soon, I think. I can't remember where he is in 1 Samuel. But 1 Samuel 28, <clears throat> we read that Saul, King Saul puts out all the necromancers and witches. Okay? He casts them all out of his kingdom. A necromancer is someone who would um, either um, through ritual contact the dead and, and, and speak to the dead, uh, bring their spirits up to consult them. Um, we see it still today in the U.S., even though we're, we're such an intellectual, scientific, uh, this, this, this metaphysical, the, these beliefs. I mean, a few years ago, I was, I was in Colorado, uh, and I'd been fishing, and I went for lunch somewhere in one of those uh, granola towns up there in Colorado. And there was this, these two young girls sitting behind me in the booth, and one of them had such a bad day. And she goes, I don't know why I had such a bad day. I was grasping my crystal with all the faith I could conjure up, and things were still not going right. And her friend is talking to her like they are rational and sane people, right? I mean, it, 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 it seems in Christianity for a season that the intellectual scientific side of the church tried to suppress the spiritual side. And, and you just can't. You, you just can't suppress it in human beings. You, you, no matter how hard you try, you just can't because it is there. It is part of us. Um, in, in 1 Samuel 28, so Saul puts them all out of, the, out of his kingdom. Um, and then he kind of regrets it. Uh, so, contacting the dead, necromancing, uh, contacting the, the good dead and the evil dead and the uh, demons, it, it was forbidden. So, um, and all the other cultures around them used to use various forms of contacting the dead and seeking guidance from the dead. You probably, uh, in, in Babylon, they would, they would sacrifice animals and people, and then they would take the liver and they would cut the liver, and they would use it kind of like we use, you know, when you cut a tree and you look at the rings, they would use the liver to try and understand the future. Um, and so all of this was forbidden. It's important to understand why it was forbidden. It wasn't forbidden because it didn't work, right? It wasn't forbidden like, hey, it doesn't work, it's stupid, that doesn't exist, you're just wasting your time. No, it's forbidden because it's evil, 
It was forbidden because it was evil. First Samuel 28, Saul then goes and finds a necromancer. He wants to know what's going on. And so he disguises himself because he's the king, and uh, it's the, the witch of Endor. And he goes, and, and I can't wait for Jake to preach on it. It's going to be fun. Y'all need to just think of all kinds of questions to ask him. Okay, good, good, difficult, you know, he's a seminary student kind of questions. Um, and he goes and consults this witch. He's disguised. This witch conjures the spirit of, uh, of um, Samuel. Conjures the spirit of Samuel. And Samuel's like, why did you wake me from my slumber? Why, why did you call me back? Right? And then the, then the spirit of Samuel can, can, tells the witch, this is Saul. And she's like, what? Right? So there's stuff going on. Right? He's, he's talking to the spirit of Samuel after Samuel had died. Right? And, and they, they, the, the scripture writes it like, this isn't some crazy thing. Right? It is forbidden because we are to seek our direction from the Lord and His Word, and the Holy Spirit is to fill us. Um, and and there is a there's a sense in our in our culture that we have to watch that anything spiritual must be right. So if if you or your kids or your grandkids uh, go and have some kind of seance and conjure up somebody's aunt or uncle or this or that, there is, there's almost in our culture this sense that if it's a spiritual thing, then it is right and it is good. And that's not what scriptures teach. There are spiritual things that are awful and evil and masquerade as the light, and the Christian is to discipline their mind and their heart and not give in to it. But that whole realm of a uh, spiritual world, um, I, 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 I do think Scotty's right. <laughs> we don't talk enough about eschatology. We don't talk enough about angels, about demons, about spirits. Um, and uh, when I have opportunity, I'm going to try to do better at that. But we do have uh, directions in Scripture for what's going to happen when we die. What happened to Craig Bernard at the moment of his death? Uh, the scriptures tell us that. Um, and so when I do funerals, I often go to the passage where it says that we, we weep, we mourn, but not like those who have no hope. We still mourn. Death is an enemy. Right? Christ has conquered it. Uh, we fight against it. Um, it, my dad was always like, I want to have just a celebration. I'm like, Dad, we will celebrate your life, but we will also mourn your loss. Those of us left behind, I miss him every day. We will miss you. And, and there is a sadness to it. There is a, a longing for us to be reunited together. Um, but we have a hope that nothing can take away. Um, so glorification is this final, the final step. So, you know, as we've talked about was, is, can, and will. Glorification is the will. This is what will become of human beings that are in Christ. We will be glorified. We get glimpses of that in the scripture. Um, we will be glorified. It is, it is God's purpose for us. Uh, again, grasping this, uh, like it, it makes sense of trials, makes sense of hardships. 
everything that is rough and hard, but also everything that is good, is preparing for us, as, as C.S. Lewis says, this eternal weight of glory. As Paul says, this eternal weight of glory that he has held for us. Um, so uh, it, 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 it all flows together. Okay, so it's all, you know, this whole work of salvation. So in John 6, 44, uh, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent him, so the Father predestined, elected, sent him, unless the Father who sent him draws him. Regeneration. God, uh, effectual call. He, that, that's what he means. He draws him. No one is going to come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father draws him to me. And then he jumps all the way down here in John 6, 44, and I will raise him up on the last day. So at the moment of conversion, a Christian is guaranteed that it ain't just for this life. It ain't just to keep you from hell. It, it, it ain't, it, it's not just to make you a better moral person. God is committing himself to you. And so he is going to use whatever means, whatever past, whatever hardship, whatever glory, whatever struggle. He is going to use all of that because he is committed to our glorification. We'll get to Romans 8, hopefully sometime this year, uh, verses 22 to 44. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, glorification. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? And then uh, verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who were called according to his purposes, predestination. Uh, for those he foreknew, predestination. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Sanctification leading to glorification. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, it's interesting how many Christians know verse 22. Uh, I'm sorry, know verse 28, right? All things work together for good. We say that to each other when things are bad. Don't worry, all things work together for good. But how does that context make it so much bigger? Right? Often when people say that, it's maybe tomorrow, next week, in your life, you'll see some good. But for the Christian, the Christian can die on a cross. The Christian can be burned at the stake. And, and, and in that burning, the Christian can say, I know this, all things are working together for the good. I know that I'm one step closer to glorification. And so, I mean, it was an interesting week for me to teach on this and encounter uh, the loss of Craig and, and then just, just, just sitting, sitting with my mom and saying how excited I am for everything to be made right in her mind and in her body and in her heart.
So glorification, we'll seek to answer a couple questions in these next two minutes. Um, <laughs> when will we receive our resurrected bodies and what will they be like? Let me go through um, the, I, this definition with you and then we'll pick up next week on some of the New Testament evidence for glorification. This again is from Wayne Grudem. Glorification is the final step in the application of redemption. It will happen when Christ returns and raises from the dead the bodies of all believers for all time who have died and reunites them with their souls and changes the bodies of all believers who remain alive thereby giving all believers at the same time perfect resurrection bodies like his own. So what's cool about that, um, and um, by the way, I don't feel pressure to finish stuff now. I kind of like Sunday school because for a while there I felt like I had to finish and I I don't have to anymore. So uh, you all feel free to ask questions. But think about this, and, and I've got it in the notes, maybe next week or the week after, uh, where Jesus returns, you know, and he, remember the, the disciples are out fishing and throw the net on the other side and, and they give him something to eat and then he shows up in the room. Um, you know, so there's, there's just a lot that, that we just often don't even talk about. Um, but to think that our bodies will be like his, I mean, that's what John 6 is saying, right? Like our brother, he is the first fruits of many sons, um, in, in Romans, there's this longing in all of creation. All of creation is groaning, he says. Um, you know, na- nature is at war with itself. Um, and, and all of it is waiting for this redemption. Um, we'll, we'll pick up with the other definitions from the confession uh, next week. Any, any questions thus far?